Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. The Bible teaches vastly different outcomes for people. Heaven and hell, life and death, comfort or torment. One of the great weaknesses in the church today is the, is the near total neglect of this truth. In many churches, people are, are spoken to as though everyone is a child of God, as though everyone is basically all right with God, as though everyone is on the same spiritual journey. But Jesus said, all the nations will be gathered before him someday, and he will separate the people from one, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep he will say, Come now, you who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance in the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And to the goats he will say, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the same issue that Isaiah deals with in chapter 66. And Isaiah makes it clear that matters of your heart, that it is, it, is, it is what is going on in your heart, it is matters of your heart that have everything to do with your final destiny. Verse 1, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, where is the house you could build for me? Where will my resting place be? All these things my hands have made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one I esteem, or the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. So God says, I own the heavens. The galaxies and the stars are my throne. God says, I made all of them. They're all mine. He made the billions of galaxies. We were talking about that on the way up uh, to the retreat Friday night. The billions of galaxies, billions of stars stretching across a a universe that they say is billions of light years across. Yet with all the glory and all the vastness of God's creation and all that he has made, all the beauty of it, the grandeur of it, what does God take pleasure in? What does God look for? He takes pleasure in the person who is humble and who trembles with reverence at his words. He looks to this person. The word that's it's translated look in the ESV, esteem in the NIV, but this word that is translated esteem here means to regard with pleasure and favor. God is saying, this is the man, the woman, the young person. I will regard, the one I will favor and care for. One commentator translated this, I will take affectionate interest in this one. These kind are my people, or my people are this kind of people. They are humble and contrite of heart and tremble at my word. It is not the the person who is the most beautiful person, not the one who is most gifted, 
Not the one who is very intelligent, not the one who is most successful in business or career, not the one who has made some great name for themselves. It is not someone even who is religious. It is not someone who has a good, clean, moral background. The Lord said, it is the one who responds to my message with, tremble, with, with humility and with trembling. It is the one who is humble. That means that you have, you have put down your resistance to God, your arguments, your fault-finding. You've stopped stiff-arming God, and you take a lowly position before Him. It is the one who is contrite in spirit, literally means lame in spirit or broken in spirit. It is the person who sees their own inadequacy before God, who sees their own unworthiness before God. It is a person who feels their sin, who feels the suffering and the brokenness of this life and receives from God his word as the answer to that. You know, it's interesting that Jesus said, come to me, And he didn't really say all people. He said, come to me, you who are weary and heavily burdened. Because those are the only kind of people who will come to Jesus. Those who see their need. Those who sense their brokenness. Those who are contrite. It is the one who trembles at my word. The Lord says, It is that person who considers what I say to be extremely valuable. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a person whose heart just has this this great esteem for God and what he would say. And so you value it or, or you judge it to be, you consider it to be extremely valuable. It is that man or woman or young person who takes my word seriously. It is that person who esteems my words. It is that person who receives all that I have to say with a trembling heart. This trembling is not terror of God, which would lead one to run and hide, but it is a trembling of of reverence out of deep desire to listen to God and to obey Him. It means to tremble as a result of being powerfully impressed with the voice of God and the message of God. This illustration is going to be so inadequate, but it's the only one I could think of. When I began a new job at DZ, I'd been at one place for uh, uh, 11 years. I started a new job. It was a big change, huge change for me. And I remember going into that new job with trembling. You know, I trembled. I had a trembling in my heart. Uh, at the boss, not because I was terrified of him, but out of a deep desire to please him, to understand what he wanted, to understand what his expectations were of me and to fulfill those out of a desire to please. That's something, at least, of what this means to tremble at his word. Verse 5, uh, we're skipping ahead just a bit. We'll come back to verse 3. But verse, verse 5 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So he, use, he picks that same thing up again. He's talking about you who tremble at his word. God addresses his people. He addresses his own. He addresses those who belong to him as you who tremble at his word. 
you who tremble at my word. And no one else really will hear the word of the Lord except, or at least in a meaningful way, except those who have this attitude of heart who tremble at what God says. And this quality defines who are the Lord's people. True saving faith affects your feelings towards God. True true saving faith affects your feelings toward the things God has to say. You know, just as John said, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Okay? In a sense, Isaiah is saying, we know that we belong to God because we tremble at his word. And if you sense, if you have that sense of brokenness before God, if you have that sense of humility in your heart before God, if you, if you know in your heart that you do tremble before God, you know what? You can know then that you have passed out of death into life, that you are among the people of God. This is at the very heart of God's work in salvation. It is, it is, it is the very heart of the goal of the gospel. William Law wrote, God's plan of salvation is to rescue us from rebellion against the will of God. You know, I think people think about salvation being a lot of things. I'm not sure we often realize that at the very heart or the very core of the gospel and of the work of salvation is to rescue us from rebellion against the will of God and to bring us into conformity with his eternal purposes in Christ, as as he goes on to say. He says, the gospel... Gospel salvation restores a man to a willing submission to all of God's purposes. And Isaiah would say, and makes very clear in this chapter, that salvation experiences that do not do that are not the real thing and do not lead to this kind of life and promise that he tells us about. Now in verse 3, in verse 3, Isaiah, we've been talking about those who tremble at God's, God's word. And we're going to see what's all in store for them. But Isaiah, in verse 3, shows us those who are on the pathway of unspeakable destruction. The people who tremble at God's word are on the pathway of unspeakable joy. Now, we're going to take a look at the people. They're on the pathway of unspeakable destruction. Who is that? Who is on the pathway of unspeakable destruction? Well, the answer is anyone who lacks this kind of complete resignation, this surrender, this humility of heart to God, even if they are very religious and offer sacrifices. Some of this chapter, I'm going to admit, is very hard to understand because if you're not familiar with Jewish sacrifices and things that they did and what was acceptable, unacceptable... But you, you don't really have to know all that. What you have to know is that if you don't serve God with this trembling of heart, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. No matter how religious, no matter, no matter uh, what, you know, how, what kind of good things you might do. And that's what verse 3 starts, uh, is pointing at. Who, whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. In other words, without this humility of heart, killing an animal to sacrifice to God is the same thing as murder. 
It doesn't mean anything more to God than if you murdered. It's, it's detestable. It's awful. And whoever offers a lamb, which was something they were supposed to do as a part of the sacrificial system, but whoever offers a lamb without this trembling in heart before me is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who offers pig's blood. I mean, Isaiah is being very graphic, and believe me, the Jews understood what he was saying. I mean, they're saying, he's saying that, I mean, pig's blood was the most detestable thing to a Jew. He's saying without this humble, contrite spirit, without this reverence for the words of God, every form of worship becomes a great offense to God. It becomes a stench to God, like pig's blood. And whoever burns incense like one who worships an idol. You know, you come, but with, if you go, you go burn this incense to the Lord, but if you don't do it with the right heart, with a heart that trembles, humble and contrite before God, it's just, it's just like going out and, and committing idolatry. No kind of religious activity matters at all that does not come with a heart that trembles before God. No kind of praying no amount of giving, no great Bible knowledge, no spiritual talk, not even keeping the Ten Commandments. None of this matters at all without a heart that is broken and contrite and trembles at God's word. Quite frankly, a person can talk about the Bible. A person can talk about grace, election, justification, sanctification, and not have a humble and broken and contrite heart. A person can live a moral life and be well-respected even in the church and not have this submission of heart to the word and the will of God. You know, Jesus did not say, if any man will come after me, if any man will be my disciple, let him clearly explain how I am truly God and truly man. He did not say, if any man will be my disciple, let him first become a better person. No, he said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and come after me. And I really believe that Isaiah is saying what Jesus said in a different way. Let my words mean everything to you. Tremble so much at my words that you would give up all you have and come follow what I say. The gospel speaks to your heart and conscience. You know, whatever you might imagine Christianity to be, if, if you don't understand that basically, first and foremost, the word of the message of Christ, the message of the gospel speaks to your heart and your conscience, not primarily to give you new information, but to, there is information in the gospel. I'm not saying that, but it's not primarily to increase your knowledge or give you new information, but to awaken in you a sense of your need of God and to compel you to turn your heart wholly towards God. When the gospel was first preached to the Jews at Pentecost, what does it say? It says they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were, they were humbled and contrite, and they cried out, what shall we do? I hope everybody in here this morning 
has this heart that trembles before, before God. But I do have to ask you, has that happened to you? And I ask that in kindness because I want you to know the joy and the glory that is going to be described here for those who have that kind of heart. Have you been cut to the heart by the message of the gospel, humbled yourself before God, trembling, receiving the message of Christ and his salvation? Verse 3 continues about those who do not have this trembling heart. It says, they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. You know, many people prefer their own ideas above God's word. They do. I mean, they, they, they want to be religious. They want to maybe even go to church. But they want to come to God on their own terms. They, they, as Isaiah said, they have chosen their own ways. And they're quite happy about it. It says they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. They're, they're quite happy about their own ideas about religion. They don't care if it agrees with the Bible or not. They're just happy with their own religion that they've made up. They don't tremble before God's word. In fact, they despise at least many of the commandments of God. Verse 4. And I know I know this is a, this is a heavy part of the message. Verse 4. So I will bring harsh treatment for them and will bring upon them what they dread. For when I sp- spoke, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and did what displeases me. These people are religious. They claim to have some sort of connection with God. But when God calls to them, did they tremble at his word? Did they listen attentively to God's message? No. The Lord says, when I spoke, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. So they, they represent this exact opposite of what God says is the, the single quality of heart that he is looking for, the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at his word. There are so many people today, who, in a, particularly in our, in our culture, increasingly so, who see God as having little or no real authority over them. They, they, may, they may talk about God. They may say that they you know, believe in God in some sense. They would certainly uh, ask God for help in a crisis. But yet, they live their own lives in a way that demonstrates that they really don't want, want God to mess with them or at least not to have any authority over them. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, which we've already talked about, but that verse goes on to say, your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said in mockery, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Uh, I don't know if you can pick up what's going on here, but it's like, you know, all this pro- the, these promises in Isaiah are like, you know, massive comfort and joy and blessing is coming upon you. The glory of God is going to be revealed. It's going to be wonderful. And so these people who really don't tremble at God's word, they say in mockery, okay, let the Lord be glorified so that we may see your joy. 
So the Lord is talking here about those who scoff at the promise of of heaven, of coming glory for God and his for God's people. And I was interested just happened as I was thinking about this verse, I just happened to re- run across a statement by Stephen Hawking, who's a self-declared atheist. And he said in a magazine interview that heaven is a myth and such a notion of heaven or life after death is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. I mean, can you hear, can you hear the mockery in that of God's people and God's people who have a hope in the Lord and in future glory? But verse 5 continues, yet they will be put to shame. People say things like that. The Lord says they will be put to shame. Verse 6, do you hear that uproar? Do you hear that noise? It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Wow. Someday that sound, that uproar, of the day of judgment will be heard. Those who mock God and his people will be made to see that they were wrong. This verse says that they will, they will be shamed and they will be repaid. Now, verses 7 through 14, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to the people who belong to God, the people who tremble at his word and isaiah does this throughout this chapter it's like blessing and joy and comfort and then punishment to others it's it's this back and forth that's that just creates this 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 crescendo this building sense of awe of what god is doing so verse 7 through 14 changes back to the joy of those whose hearts humbly receive god's word And Isaiah gives us some of the sweetest language in Scripture to describe you and your future and your present if you are among those who respond to God this way. Now, there is so much of this chapter that I cannot cover this morning, okay? And my heart breaks really to not be able to do that. But I'm going to share with you what I believe is the core. I am sharing with you what I believe is the core message of this chapter. So, but these verses primarily, they they address the joy and the glory and the blessing of those whose hearts humbly receive God's word. First, he tells us to rejoice. Rejoice over the unspeakable joy in your future. Verse 10 Rejoice with Jerusalem. Rejoice with the city of God and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. So he says to rejoice greatly over Jerusalem. He says those who care about the city of Jerusalem one day will be very happy with what God will do. Generally, we can say those who care about the things of God those who care about God's program, those who care about God, those who care about the people of God will someday be wildly happy about what God will do. And the message now from Isaiah is rejoice and be happy now because of what God will do for you in the future. And that's one of the powerful messages of this whole section of of chapters. And I gave one message totally centered on that. Be happy now based on what God will do in your future. 
Secondly, you will be satisfied like a baby who has just nursed. You will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. Probably only a mother who's nursed a baby can fully appreciate this word picture of the level of satisfaction that God has in store for us. But the image here is of a nursing baby who's just finished nursing. And that baby has found complete comfort, complete joy, nourishment, and satisfaction in the arms of its mother. And those of you that have seen a baby just after it is nursed, God is saying, that's the level of satisfaction, of comfort, of joy, of nourishment that I have for you. You know, no one can fully express the greatness and the warmth of God's love for you. But this image comes pretty close to it, and probably especially for those of you that are moms. You will have satisfaction. You will be satisfied like a baby who's just nursed. You will have comfort like a mother gives her child. Verse 12. Uh, The ESV says, you will nurse and be carried on her hip and bounced on her knees. NIV puts it just a little bit bit, uh, different. It says, you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. I don't really know that much about what dandled means, so I kind of like the ESV here that you will be bounced like a child bounced on her mother's, uh, his mother's knees. But the idea is that as one whom his mother comforts, the Lord says, so I will comfort you. No one can comfort like a mother. And God will bring that kind of comfort to you. God has that kind of comfort to you. The world is full of of trouble, of stress, of friction, anxieties, of needs and problems. God wants to comfort you, to console you, to quiet you. And as you come to him with a humble and contrite spirit, as you, as you come to him with a heart that trembles at every word that he speaks, that is the sort of comfort that God has for your soul. You will have peace like a river. Verse 12, I will extend, extend peace to her like a river. There is peace in God's kingdom. It's one of the the. the, the Three basic elements of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what the kingdom of God consists of. So when you, when you come to God with this sort of heart that he, that he uh, requires, he says, I will extend peace to you like a river. This river of peace will just keep flowing into your soul. And if you can just imagine for a moment... Not fearing anything. You know, just having no fear of anything. Having no anxiety about anything. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And that's what he has for his people. Whether you're facing personal problems or you're looking at the news and watching the terrorist attacks. He says, I will extend peace to you. Peace to your heart like a river.
You will have prosperity and abundance and never any need again for all eternity. I will extend the wealth of nations to you like a flooding stream. You will flourish like the grass. The Lord will make himself known to you. Verse 14, the hand of the Lord will be made known to you. I think that's one of the one of the greatest blessings. If you tremble, if you if you come with a humble, trembling heart to God, He says, "I will make myself known to you. I will show you my hand. The hand of the Lord will be made, be made known to you." I mean, Jesus said the same thing in the in the Gospel of John: "Whoever has my commands and obeys them, or in other words, whoever trembles at my words, he is the one who loves me. I will manifest myself to him, and my Father and I will come and make our home with him." So, from this section of verses, just to summarize, these blessings are yours if you humble your heart and tremble at God's word. God will come to your heart, satisfy all the wants and longings of your soul. He will come into your emptiness, your hunger and thirst, to your restlessness, and he will bring the sweetness of relationship and fellowship and peace with him. But, just as there is this glorious Life, this glorious experience, this glorious end and destiny for all who humbly love and obey God. There is a horrible end whose hearts remained, remain closed to God. And verse 14, I believe, is a key verse. It says, when you see this, your hearts will rejoice. You will flourish like the grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. Okay, again, you see, you see the vast difference in destinies between God's servants and his foes. His servants will flourish with blessing and joy. This is his foes will experience his fury. Goes on to say, see, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire for the fire for with fire and with the sword, he will execute judgment upon all men, and many will be those slain by the Lord. He's just telling us that the holy wrath of God will someday come like a sword and like a whirlwind. You know, Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Verse 17 says, those who make displays of religion, but who do not tremble at the word of the Lord, says they will be destroyed. Because of their actions, in verse 18, their actions and imaginations, I am about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. The Lord has set a day. He's, he's got it on his calendar. He's got a date set for the whole world to stand before him and see his glory. Even those who disregard God in the most blatant way, they will see his glory in judgment. And actually, that's the context of this verse. He's talking about those who don't tremble at his word and do, the, do these despicable, um, detestable things because of their actions and imaginations. I will gather men and tongues and they will see my glory. So in other words, in that final day, some will see his glory in judgment and some will see it in salvation. But all 
will see his glory. All will be confronted with the reality that he alone is God. Those who have resisted God, those who have no fear of God, those who have professed atheism, those who have neglected God, they will all see his glory. There will be no more arguments then. There will be no professions of atheism. There will be no more arrogance toward God. Every mouth will be silenced and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 22, we're getting to the end here. As the heaven, new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me forever, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. All right, he's switched back. Now again, he's talking to his people again. And he's saying, just like the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth that, I'm, that I am preparing for you, just like those are going to endure forever, so will your name and your descendants. In other words, if you belong to God, he is going to take care of you forever. As long as, as, long as the heavens and the, and the new earth outlast, as long as heaven lasts, that's how long he's going to take care of you. God is preparing a new heavens and a new earth as the home of his people. And that will be our unchanging experience forever. It's not like we're going to be in heaven for a few days or for a bit and then who knows what after that. No, God says this will be your experience, your, your total joy, your total comfort forever, as long as heaven lasts. And then Isaiah ends the book with a final warning. And in, Isaiah uh, ends the book really much like the book of Revelation with a final warning to the ungodly, to the unbeliever, to the person who does not humble his heart before God. Verse 24, and they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched and will be loathsome to all mankind. Jesus quotes this verse directly in the Gospels and says it is, is, it is a description of hell. It's gruesome, but there's a reason that God and Jesus... Uh, tell us these things. The image of worms on a dead human body and the image of a human body on fire are unforgettable, shocking, horrible. Worms usually die, fires usually go out, but to communicate the, the eternal destiny of man says the worms do not die and the fire does not go out. And the Bible uses these I- images to describe the horrible, eternal, eternal destiny of those who reject his warnings for those who do not tremble at his word for everyone who rejects the good news about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So in the end, Isaiah makes totally clear through this chapter, in the end, there are two kinds of people, those who have humbled themselves and have reverential fear of the Lord and obey his gospel and those who exalt themselves against God's message about Christ, those who, there are those who bend their knee and their will to Christ and those who do not bend their knee or their will to Christ. So the gospel is good news 
to the contrite and who humbly receive the message of God. But it is, is very bad news for those who will not. God is a God of grace, amazing grace. But he's also a God of judgment. He's not, not one or the other, but both. You know, Paul said in Romans, uh, toward the end of the book, he said, he, he said this, Behold both the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness to you, if you, can, if you are in his kindness, if you choose his kindness, kindness to you, but severity to those who fall. And I think, that, to me, that is a very apt description of this chap, last final chapter in the book of Isaiah. This book of Isaiah is an amazing book. It's been called the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. Because Isaiah tells us so much about Jesus. He tells us about Jesus being born of a virgin. He tells us about Jesus coming and being crushed for our iniquities, taking our sins upon himself. He talks about heaven and the future and the joy and all the glory that God has planned for us. But he also warns of God's uh, coming judgment. Applications. I just I have a few applications um, that I just like you to think through um, as a result of, of this chapter. Number one, realize the seriousness of life. You know, people's responses to God will result either. According to Romans 2, 10 and 11, let me, let me back up. I'm actually quoting a verse here. People's responses to God will result either in great trouble and distress or in glory and honor and peace. And that creates, just knowing that, just knowing that creates a certain soberness about how we live, about how we pray for people, about how we talk to people, about how we view our role in life just knowing the, the, the serious consequences of life. Number two, second application, be profoundly grateful for your salvation. And there is something, I don't know if you sense it, but there's something when I read this, when I read of the, the judgment of God, uh, it gives me a deep and profound gratitude that God saved me. Again, I hope this example isn't too trite, but I remember the feeling I had when I was working in a corporation, a DZ. I remember when people who write, worked right alongside me were, were, were fired. You know, and it was this very sobering feeling, but it also gave me this deep gratitude that I still clung, you know, clung on, on to my job. And there's probably all kinds of holes in that example. But, but there's this sense that we, when we realize the gravity of life and the seriousness of the out, outcome and the seriousness of judgment, the seriousness of the, of the alternative to, to choosing Jesus and choosing to humbly respond to his message, it just makes you profoundly grateful that you belong to him, that you're saved, that you're on the pathway that is headed toward unspeakable joy. Third application, which, you know, I've said, this, I've said this phrase so many times throughout the message, but I'm going to say it again in this application. Tremble. 
at every word spoken by God. So my, my challenge to us this morning would be to respond with, with a renewed reverence for God and what God speaks, for God's word. Uh, come to the Lord and humble yourself. Respond to the living words of God spoken in your heart and to your heart and soul. And live in this, this state of, of humble response to God. Uh, number four, avoid dead formalism like the plague. This chapter is so much about people who, who, who were religious, kind of had the forms of religion, did the outward things uh, of the is, uh, Israel or the Jewish uh, system of sacrifice. But it was, there was something dead about it. Their hearts weren't, weren't with it. Their hearts were, were far away from God. So avoid dead formalism like the plague. Beware of worship without heart. Beware of God talk without trembling. Number five, and last, and I, I'm, I leave you with this, uh, revel in the sweet things God says to you and about you. Revel in the sweet things that he has for you and for those who humbly receive his word. You know, when we started this series, this is the end. You know, this is the end of our series in, in Isaiah. We started back in Isaiah chapter 40. And I don't know if you, you remember how that chapter begins, Isaiah 40. It's, it said, comfort my people. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to my people. And if you belong to God through Jesus Christ, God has sweet and comforting, tender things to say to you. you know, that's that's, the, that's the, 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 the joy, that's the inheritance, that's the experience of those who humbly receive his message. If you, if you belong to God through Jesus Christ, you do not come to him as your judge to punish you or to destroy you in judgment. But you come to him now as your loving father who loves you, who comforts, who satisfies, and has unspeakable joy planned for you. So revel in these, this comforting message that, that, that God delivers to us here in Isaiah. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the height and the depth and the majesty and the power of your word. And we can only respond with um, trembling before you out of, out of a desire to, to respond um, to all that you have to say to us. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for um, your kindness to us and we are we're sobered by what we've heard what we've read what we've studied this morning but yet we rejoice as we are commanded to do we rejoice in all that you have for us lord i I pray that if there's if there's even one person here this morning who has who has never come to that place where they're 
heart was touched or reached by the message of the gospel. Never come to the place where, as it says in Acts, their heart was cut to the quick. They realized their unworthiness, their sinfulness, their need of a Savior. I pray for that to happen this morning right now. And that that person would look to Jesus, look to Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, to save their soul, and to deliver them into a place of peace with you, relationship with you, comfort, joy, nourishment, satisfaction, all that you offer our hungering hearts. We pray, Lord, for that to happen to that one person, maybe more this morning, for your spirit to do that work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Uh, May God richly bless you today. And if anyone wants to come down and talk more or be prayed for, we're always here to do that up front.